It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 478 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This is a very special episode for me because I get to talk with Cy Spurrier, who has two great Marvel books coming out right now. The first is Way of X, which we delve into quite a lot because it has to do with Nightcrawler and the other mutants and their attempt to create a mutant society. Then we get to my favorite Marvel character of all time, and that's the Black Knight. Cy discusses the new book featuring the Black Knight, which is called Black Knight Curse of the Ebony Blade. Number one just came out this week. Of course, we recorded this interview before that happened, but I highly encourage you to listen to what he has to say because he's got a really creative take on the character that's coming. And I think both books are going to be really terrific sellers for Marvel. So be sure to support both of these titles. But of course, I favor the Black Knight, and I hope we get to see an ongoing with that character. Sai has a lot of interesting things to communicate, so I hope you enjoy all that he has to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's an honor to welcome to the podcast Cy Spurrier, creator of many good comics, including several good X-Men stories, and has an X-Men story coming out called Way of X, and that's going to be next month. It's coming right up on us. And I also want to talk about Black Knight, which is another uh, great book that's coming out. How are you doing, Cy? Very good. Thank you very much. Not too bad. It's good to talk with you. Uh, let's talk about the X-Men thing, because I, I know that as a Black Knight fan, I'm in the minority here. But <laughs> well, let's I've, hope we can change that. Yeah, well, let's hope. Uh, but we, let's talk about X-Men, which, of course, I, I, I'm probably in the minority there, too. But uh, you've got a book called Way of X coming up. Um, let me read a real quick quote from a January news release. I thought it was really funny, the way you describe it. Way of X is a smart, psychedelic tale about faith, science, culture, love, and law, and bamfing. Bamfing just for the joy of it. I got of course, saying that we have a good idea which character is, is likely to. Oh yeah, this. yeah. So talk about Way of X. Uh, wh- wh- how do you describe it? Besides that, is there a, uh, more that you'd like to say about it? It's uh, it's a big thing, and and uh, you would think by now, having having been talking about this book for a little while, that I would uh, I would have a, a neat soundbite already to explain it, and I really can't. Because it's it's one of those books that slightly defies description. So the the simplest version is it's a book about an attempt to create a mutant religion, but it's not. That's that doesn't really do it justice. What what's actually going on is is this. Um, thanks to Jonathan Hickman and all the other amazing ex writers, we have this unique 
society in in the X books, in which uh, all the mutants on Earth have created not just their own little island nation, but they have created a new civilization, and it's it's a civilization that is different from our human civilization in a few key ways. Most notably, they have overcome death. They are capable of resurrecting themselves if they die. Um, They have banished the majority of illness, uh, mental and physical. And so you've got this densely populated group of superhumans trying to struggle along in some sort of functioning society without having any pre-existing morals or laws or cultural norms or any of the things that those of us in the real world kind of take for granted. So there are a whole host of amazing X-books that you can read right now, and they tend to be, because we live in a, a, a world where superhero comics are the dominant form in our in our medium, uh, they tend to be books about adventure and um, questing and hero stuff and uh, big statecraft questions. <laughs> and what I really wanted was a book which was about how do you stop a civilization of superhumans from going kaboom? Because it would, you know, you only have to switch on the news to know that if if we didn't have an awful lot of big ideas controlling the way that we think and behave, we would just go to hell in a handcart, you know? It, we're only ever half a day away from anarchy. And then you can times that by a billion when every single person in this society has a superpower of some sort or another. And yet these people don't have any idea how they're supposed to live their lives. And, and you can imagine very quickly that if you're a mutant living on Krakoa in this new society, uh, you're looking at these A-listers romping around doing heroic stuff, and you're sitting on your bum at home going, well, what, why am I valuable? What's, what's the point of this? So Way of X is a book in which Nightcrawler, who is a fantastic and complicated character, sets out to try and find a big idea which will unite all mutants behind it. And it's not a religion. That's kind of where he starts and he quickly realizes that that's not the way to go. It's not about finding some new God. It's not about prayer or faith. Because by the way, he's a Catholic and there's plenty of other characters in our story who have their own different faiths. And we don't want to contradict or trample all over that. Mm-hmm. So he goes looking for a big idea and, and he finds one. And I'm not gonna not gonna spoil what it is, but it's it's kind of cool when we get there. But of course, this being an X-Men book, the the hunt for that idea is really just the framing mechanism within which loads of wonderful, weird, explodo madness occurs in a very sort of superhero-y way. Um, and yeah, that's that's the way of X. And like I said, I wish I could compress that into a sentence, but I can't. Well, how many issues is it going to be? Uh, at least five and hopefully 5,000. <laughs> so this could be an ongoing if we support it strongly enough. Sure. I mean, that's, that's as, as I'm sure we all know these days, the, the way to play the game is that a book is ongoing until it's not. Um, so, you know, we, we, uh, we hope to launch extremely strong. And as long as we can keep on going, then so does the book. Now, of course, by now, stores have put their orders in for it. But being an X-Book, they're likely to have plenty of good copies around. So the thing to do is let your store know that you want Way of X. Precisely. Uh, I think final order cutoff is probably next week because the book comes out 
Uh, issue one drops on the 21st of April. Uh, so I guess we're, I guess we've only got a week or two before final orders. So, so yeah, hustle as quick as you can, because we're quietly confident that it will sell out its first print run. Of course, you know, they should call it X-Way. <laughs> I saw somebody saying the other day, uh, <laughs> it should have been called X-Amen, which I think <laughs> Yeah, I tried to put it at the beginning of the Xbox. <laughs> that would have been a smart way to do it. I always get a kick because certain stores organize things together. And other ones don't. So I'm always worried when there's an X book and it doesn't start with an X, then you've got troubles <laughs> yeah. as far as people go with that. But uh, so talk about Nightcrawler. I mean, his role in this, he, of course, being one of the original uh, uncannies. Uh, talk about his role in this and who he is at this point, because he's been around for a while and he's you know, come and gone as far as the books go. What is he, you know, what's his perspective on all this? Well, he's, to a writer, he's such a gift of a character simply because he comes complete with an awful lot of internal conflict. Um, and, you know, you, as a reader, you don't want a character stumbling around, clutching their head, acting like they don't know anything. But as a writer, that's sort of where you do want to start because it creates so many wonderful <laughs> stories. So mm-hmm. the way that, I see Nightcrawler, Kurt, let's call him Kurt. Um, he's split straight down the middle. There's part of him which is a mischief maker. He's a, a trickster, a prankster. He loves dressing like a pirate. He loves playing jokes on people. He loves making light of serious things because it's easier to fix them by being lighthearted about them than it is to get lost in misery. On the other hand, he is a very strong Catholic believer. And that comes with uh, all sorts of um, moral obligations and, and religious obligations, which, whilst not contradicting the other side of his character, might set them against each other in, in some uh, frictiony ways. And that's especially true in this modern era of Krakoa. As I was saying just now, we, we now have all these mutants living in a civilization where death is no longer the final frontier. And and so all the ideas that come with uh, homo sapien society, and in particular religious societies to do with uh, murder, suicide, end of life, they all start to get seen through a slightly different lens. Um, The same is true for things like uh, polyamory and monogamy and all these questions that um, somebody from the Catholic faith might take for granted as as belonging in the sort of human world paradigm, and suddenly they too have come with very different contexts. So Kurt, at the beginning of our story, is looking at this island full of beautiful young people who are obviously going to do what beautiful young people do, um, and some of those things are kind of making him arch his eyebrow. For instance... Uh, one very early but extreme example. If you are a kid, a teenager, in a society where death will bring you back within a couple of days, it's not that difficult to imagine certain youngsters seeing this as a thrill ride. And so we have we have these weird scenes where we've got kids kind of egging each other on and, and peer pressuring each other into it in the same way that we might be familiar in our world with kids pressuring each other into losing their virginity. That's like, have you lost your resurrection cherry yet? That sort of stuff. And as a Catholic priest, Kurt is listening to these things and thinking, oh, my God, that's wrong. But when somebody says to him, why is it wrong? He doesn't necessarily have a good answer because it's it's wrong for our world where death is 
final, but it's not necessarily wrong for a mutant world where death is not final. And so it's it's that sort of stuff where we can see the world of Krakoa through the eyes of somebody who is capable of deep, deep empathy and deep humanity whilst being a quintessential mutant and part of that experience um, and not necessarily always being maudlin and taking things too seriously, which would be the death of a book like way of X. So he's, he's really the perfect perspective into all these big questions that I want to toy with whilst also PS making sure that this book doesn't just become a bunch of philosophical hand wringing and people sitting around talking about faith and religion and politics, but is actually really good fun and, contains a great deal of excitement and lots of laughs, I hope, and, and just lots of great weird ideas leaping out of the page. And as, as you said yourself, bamfing just for the hell of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I have to say, there's a store in the region where I am in Central Florida that's called Banff Comics. <laughs> great, I didn't know that. Yeah, there is. And they've been open for several years and they have like coffee they sell and desserts and everything in the world. If you, you can't find it in another store, go there because they sell action figures that I haven't seen in years and stuff like that. So it's just right. an amazing, great, amazing place. Now, I, I've got to ask you, though, because you have experience writing X-Men previous to this yep. and now you're coming back to them. What did you have to do to prepare to, to write Way of X? I mean, was there stuff that you had to catch up on or, or are you just an ongoing fan of X-Men and you were ready to go the moment they, that uh, you had the story mind in mind here? How'd no, you do that? It's, it's a little of both. Uh, like, like almost any uh, work for hire book project, especially at one of the big two companies, you, you will inevitably have ideas to do with a particular character or a particular concept, but in order to sell them, not just to the editor, but to the readers down the line, uh, you really need to know your stuff. So there's always an awful lot of um, research and catching up. Um, the the wonder, of course, is if if part of your research project is is great fun. I literally spent a week reading X-Men comics, <laughs> which oh is no hardship at all. Um, and it's, uh, look, I mean, so the, the stuff I did back in the day, this was what, maybe... I couldn't even tell you how long ago way of, uh, how long ago X Men Legacy was now. It's maybe ten years or less. I don't know, but um, that was a book about uh, David Haller, so Professor X's son, better known as Legion, which which sort of started out as a a weird, slightly trippy book about this kid trying to find himself, and has ended up, as much to my surprise as anybody else's, being held with great regard by an awful lot of fans as, as quite an important contribution to the X canon in as much as look, we, we know that the, the mutants of the Marvel universe can be used as metaphors for all sorts of very important stuff. You know, they can, they can speak to stories about race and gender and sexuality and class and, and all these things have been done before. Um, with X-Men legacy, we, we used this character who had only ever really been deployed previously as a sort of walking, talking plot point who could blow up and things needed to blow up. And we made him uh, a vehicle through which we could tell stories about mental health and did amazingly well to our surprise. It really touched a nerve with a a lot of people so much so that, you know, cut forward a few years and and X-Men legacy was, was one of the, the core 
inspirations behind the the FX show Legion, which which did amazingly well for itself too. So um, when they came to me and asked me to to send some ideas in for this modern incarnation of the the X canon, I kind of came seeped in a certain amount of of knowledge. I, I have lots of ideas left over from those days that I never quite got to. But also, it's such a wild and and big idea-led science fiction experiment, all this Krakoa stuff, that I just kind of wanted to sink my teeth into the big, deep roots of it all. Well, let's say somebody doesn't have your familiarity with the X-Men. And, you know, it's hard. One of the the great things about X-Men is its longevity. It's Mm -hmm. hugely popular for decades. But on the other hand... As I'm one of those people that kind of go in and out of X-Men, you know, depending on other circumstances. If somebody wants to read Way of X, what would you recommend that they read in preparation for it? Well, I would hope they don't have to read anything. I would hope, you know, I've certainly tried my very best to make sure that a total novitiate can pick up the book and, and kind of figure out quite quickly what's going on. Um, but it, it, I think it's no hardship for even somebody who's not a fan of X, they're going to get an awful lot of massive ideas and really exciting new perspectives on the superhero as an archetype. If they pick up uh, House of X and Powers of Ten, which are the two sort of intertwined books that Jonathan Hickman did, which launched this new era uh, of the X office. And I think they you can get them all in one massive collected volume, House of X, Powers of Ten. Um, and from that, everything spins out. Mm. Of course, I'm talking about that very rare one person in a thousand that hasn't read an X book in a long time. <laughs> those those odd people that uh, like me, unfortunately. <laughs> I, think, I, I would hope that it's, it's such an unusual setup. John has John has changed the metaphor from one about individual characters struggling against a world that hates them. And there's still some of that, of course, because that's the bedrock of the X uh, mythos. But it's opened up the X characters, the X world to stories on a global scale, on a solar system scale, so that the metaphors are no longer about people. They are about a people. And that's huge. That's really interesting approach to, to superheroes. Hmm. It's great. Now, of course, the artwork is done by Bob Quinn, and I really like the artwork because I've looked at, I've seen, you know, preview pages of it and stuff like that. Really dynamically done i just think it's just so excellently done colors by and i'm sure i'm going to mispronounce it hava hava tartaglia i, I hope I, I think you did well I, i've been i've been saying java and got corrected recently so uh, i think you're right okay, well i hope so I, I have this terrible thing when people have beautiful names i usually mispronounce them horribly <laughs> i fracture them into nothing so that they don't make any sense but yeah i really enjoy the artwork i think that the art is quite good did you have anything to do with the choice of the artist or no, uh, well, I mean, in as much as the, the editor came to me with a few names and, and Bob was my favorite, but, uh, you know, it wasn't like I, I brought Bob to the table, but he's, he's astonishing. He's, uh, he's everything you want from a superhero book, especially, by the way, a superhero book about big ideas, because it would be so easy for this book to disappear into hand wringing and, and maudlin, uh, funless psychology. And so, my attempts to make it fun and exciting are exacerbated tenfold by by Bob's style. He does the most wonderful acting. His characters are always active, but never in a sort of exaggerated and, and ugly way. 
yeah, it's it's just perfect. It's it's the right balance between sort of pop and deep thought. Cool. Because and of course, again, we say Way of X is going to come. Number one will be next month. You want to be sure to get on board so that we get more than just five of them. We want uh, five in the bank, but we want to go beyond that. So be sure to pick up Way of X number one and. Don't stop there. Buy all five of them. You know, tell them <laughs> any way of X that comes out, you want it. That's the way to make sure we get more of them. So, we get, so, all right. I think we've done that good justice. Now we want to get to the real reason why I wanted to talk with you. <laughs> and I told you that when I and I contacted oh, yeah. you. I am a huge fan. People, people who listen to this podcast will know that. I am a big fan of the Black Knight. In fact, he is my very favorite Marvel character. All the Marvel characters there are. That, that's my guy. Uh, I, I've read him since the very beginning of Dane Whitman and all the way through. And so when I saw you were going to do a, I guess, is this the same situation with Black Knight? If it sells really well, it'll be more than five or six issues? Broadly, yeah. I think in, in this case, we have, because uh, we just don't know, you know, with, with an X book, you can have at least a, a sort of gentle confidence that it'll, it'll go. But with, um, with the Black Knight, what we've done is we've approached it as if it's a miniseries. And then if it sells really, really well, then we can carry on. See, my history with Black Knight has been jaded, shall we say. Somebody else was doing a Black Knight book and I was happily buying it and I was reading it. And it was, he was in an alternate dimension kind of a thing. The, and, um, the weird world one. Yeah, yeah. He was there for a while, and then all of a sudden, I was buying issue five, and this uh, Twitter thing came across, and tweet said, "That's it, it's over." And I was like, "What? I just, I'm just getting to really enjoy this and really see the character, you know, coming to his own." And that was it. It's and really, I mean, it's it, we live in a a really tough time for all comics, but I mean, hey, you you know, coming from from the, the sort of the retail angle that. Retailers have it so hard. If you if you mess up the pre order by you know a couple of percent, then everybody's screwed. So everybody has to be extremely risk averse, which means no title unless it's got a genuinely top three name attached to it is going to be confidently told it can go past that first arc. And so everybody is constantly playing it safe, which which by the way has really injurious knock-on effect to the sorts of stories you want to tell. I mean, we, we all have our favorite comic arcs, and they tend to be arc two or three or four of a longer-running series when the artist and the writer start to really hit their stride and start to explore the stuff that they couldn't get away with just in the first arc. So it's a real shame, but we live in a world at the moment where first arcs are often only arcs, and that's just the way it is. Well, I'm grateful you get to do it. Yeah, uh, that, that's a that's a benefit. You know, I was, I kind of gave up on the character. I thought we'd never going to see him again. And then he showed up in uh, Savage Avengers, not every issue, but uh, every once in a while he's there. And so I've been buying those. Um, I was reading where you wrote an issue of him as part of King of Black. That's right. King and Black. And that kind of got you into doing a little more with him. Talk about that experience. I, I, you know, because Black, I, were you aware of the character before that issue? How did that issue come about? I mean, aware of, but um, I'm I'm feeling a little intimidated, if I'm honest, because you are clearly a, a far, far longer term fan than I was. But um, but yeah, I, I sort of, I'd always been aware of the character. Um, I think probably first became aware of Dane Whitman through 
Uh, are you familiar with MI13, a, a, a series Paul Cornell did a few years back, which was a sort of British team of, of sort of weirdness investigators, um, but never really gave the character very much thought until the um, the King in Black one shot came along, at which point I, I, as discussed previously, did an awful lot of homework and, and delving and diving and that's by no means easy because an awful lot of the character's history is, is very difficult to get hold of. Um, and by the way, and, and this is, this is why the black Knight is such an interesting slash problematic character. There have been so many different attempts to really stick the landing with the character and find a, a great way to make that character, not only a great, vehicle for stories but also a relevant and important part of the broader marvel universe and unfortunately a great many of those attempts are contradictory or at least you know they've they've approached it with such different voices that it's very difficult to imagine they're all one character there's like a sort of cognitive dissonance as as a reader when you're bouncing from from black knight story to black knight story um so the the challenge first with the the uh, King in Black one shot, and then again when when somebody higher up decided that they'd enjoyed that enough that we were going to take a crack at a miniseries, the challenge was to find a way that we could pay our respects to all those old stories and not to just pretend they never happened, not to not to just ignore them and do some sort of crude retcon, which would have been very easy, but I think lazy, but also to to sort of recontextualize, to, to, to say, okay, there are all these different complicated, tangled stories and versions of this character. Let's find a really elegant way that we can put them all in one place and sort of explain why they are the way they are. And then having done so, move forwards with a more simple and more elegant status quo that can be easily digested and easily understood. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I'm going to tell you my least favorite incarnation of Black Knight. Go for in it. fact, I didn't recognize the character. It was in the uh, Black Panther series. Right. He's uh-huh. suddenly this Christian warrior trying to make everybody into a Christian and, in Wakanda. And I'm like, that is kind of a mistake as far as I can tell. And I, it, I I thought it should have been a totally different character, but I guess they said, hey, Black Knight's around, let's use him. And, I, mean, and, I guess there's a sort of crusader aesthetic yes. in there which oh. somebody's leaned into. Yeah, oh, I, I, I just looked at it, and I remember just wincing as I was reading it and going like, that's not Black Knight, that's not Black Knight. And I just, uh, you know, but I, I'm sure people were looking at a way to reinvent him at that point. That's why they well, did I think that. that's, that's been the case for so long, and, and I, I guess that's to the character's detriment over the years. Almost every time the character has appeared, certainly every time he's appeared in his own book, it has been an attempt to reinvent, to reintroduce which is why there have been so many different voices and, and different approaches. So my, the, the way that I did it in, in um, the King in Black one shot, uh, to, to take a couple of steps back, the, the problem that this character has often been depicted as facing is in his relationship to the weapon that he wields, which is yes. the ebony blade. And yes. various different storytellers have... Uh, approached it as being that the blade is cursed, the blade is 
murderous the blade yearns for blood there's been a whole bunch of stuff where it wasn't the real blade it was a different blade that was given to dracula and, and all these kind of tangled continuities that, that you really don't need to worry about uh, uh brave listener so <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so the, the way that we've we've done it is we've we've said okay here's what's really going on the ebony blade is essentially the opposite of thor's hammer which is to say that the more unworthy the person who wields it, the more powerful it becomes. Hmm. In other words, the more negativity that is felt by the Black Knight, the more angry, the more sad, the more resentful, the more depressed, frankly, he feels, the more mighty he is as a hero. Now, that's a really difficult <laughs> mind to be in but it's kind of also a very marvelly kind of dichotomy for for a character to face because if you are that hero what do you do either you lean into the misery you forego any hopes you might have of being a happy and healthy person just so that you can be this ridiculously powerful hero with a sword that can cut worlds in half even though there's a pretty good chance it will drive you either insane or evil. Or, alternatively, you put the sword down and you stop being a hero, even though that is a core part of your identity, it's the only thing you've ever been any good at, do you let it go so that someday you can be an, a happy, ordinary person? And that's the the difficult bind that Dane Whitman finds himself in at the beginning of the miniseries. What the hell do I do? And it doesn't help that this character who was once a core part of the Avengers is now sort of sidelined by him, by them. They they see him as as the the WMD, like the, the, the opening scenes in issue one, it has the Avengers fighting this pack of very bizarre blood monsters that pop up through the ground in Central Park. And we realize that when whenever Dane Whitman gets called in, it's not because they want him to stand shoulder to shoulder with them and, and blast away at the monsters. It's that they want him to just explode, to literally drop in like some sort of dark magic nuke to wipe everything out. And then it's, thanks, Dane, see you next time. And that's <laughs> depressing for this guy who just wants to belong. He just wants to be part of the team. So, yeah, he's he's kind of messed up. Um, he feels like an outsider. And then there is something that happens right in the middle of issue one, which I will not spoil, which shows that his understanding of the ebony blade and, P.S., all the other strange ebony artifacts that were made at the same time as the ebony blade is very incomplete. And it still has plenty of surprises up its sheath <laughs> mm, that's interesting because that's a much more interesting thing than i've read in the past. <laughs> i have to be honest i i literally have the the sword business i remember when it got introduced i remember shaking my head going no no that was, <laughs> that's a mistake don't do that and yet it they it has remained an integral part of the character ever since then to his detriment i think and hopefully if you're going to <laughs> resolve that in some level <laughs> it's i mean look you can you can understand why can't you there's a there's a character who uh he's a he's an anachronym he's uh a, a knight in modern day marvel universe somebody at some point thought 
he needs a problem. He needs a mm. he needs an Achilles heel. He needs a thing which is both his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. And and people have become quite fixated on the sword, and I get it. And and I'm not going to pretend I haven't done the same, but I, I hope I've done it in a way that is um, additive and expands the law. And we'll we'll come to that in a moment. The sort of the the Camelot, the Arthur of it all, becomes quite an important part of our story. But more importantly. I didn't want to tell a story where the sword was the hero or, or the villain. You know, it's, it, it shouldn't be about this, this ridiculously powerful artifact that could be picked up by just anybody. It should be about the character, Dane Whitman, and his unique relationship to this item and the legacy of the item and what it symbolizes and what history it has behind it and all that stuff. So I, I'm not going to pretend that I've I've stepped away from the sword being relevant and indeed important but i hope i found a way that it's it's not cheap yeah that, that's the thing i always thought it should be called the sword yes yeah, yeah. Knight. you know because see the thing i always remember of course his if i remember correctly his father was a villain it's his uncle nathan garrett uncle that's right the uncle yeah. and he used a lance that's right and I always thought, well, why doesn't he put the sword down and take up a lance? Because that can be just as much of a knight. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a there's a whole, um, and this, by the way, is exactly the sort of fiddly widdly stuff that we don't want to get too far into in the story. But but <laughs> for the purposes of fiddly widdly right now, the um, <laughs> the law has it that Nathan Garrett was uh, rejected by the sword. He tried to pick it up, and it wouldn't be held by him. And so we we sort of explore that a little bit in our story. It, we quickly realize that, no, let me go back a bit. Uh, one of the mechanisms we play with in our story is that we allow ourselves, because reasons, to flash back to Camelot, as it really was. Um, and as a result of that, we realize that there have been many, many Black Knights down through the centuries, and all of them have faced the same basic problem that Dane Whitman is facing now, which is, do I allow myself to be perverted by this savage berserker rage that comes over me whenever I have to make this sword do something, all for the greater good? You know, do I become a monster because as a monster I can do something good in the world, or do I let go and step away from it? And they have all taken very different approaches to that, but they've all suffered that same bittersweet tragic question um so yeah the 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 whole second string to this story which i've been enjoying at least as much as the 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 modern day hero stuff is that we one of the one of the um challenges my editor brought to me was can you preside over the marvelization of camelot and the, the way that we've sort of approached it is that imagine that Camelot, um, and I'm pausing because there's a whole bunch of stuff to unpack here and there's a, there's a good way of explaining it that doesn't, doesn't take four days to do. Um, imagine that Camelot was the Middle Ages version of the current Marvel Universe's Manhattan which is to say it is the place to which gravitate all the, the wonders and the wizards and the heroes of that age. Now there's, there's a whole other bunch of really cool stuff going on with Camelot, which is like in our world right now, if you open a history book, you will find no mention of Camelot because it just doesn't fit. 
It's pure mythology. Uh, if it was real, then it must have existed at some hazy point between like a, a span of 300-ish years. Uh, it doesn't seem to fit in any one geographical place. And the way that our myths describe it are all much, much later inventions. You know, these knights in armor and uh, maidens with handkerchiefs and all that stuff. That's like a, a much later, mostly French invention from, from sort of after the, the uh, 10th century. So we've come up with this cool idea that Camelot in the Marvel Universe, the real Camelot, was the world's first post-real civilization which is that it's a city which wanders the landscape. You might see it on that hill today, and it's always been there. But you come back the next day, and it's 300 miles away in the middle of a forest where it has also always been. And that's that's the sort of twisted magic that's guiding it. And it exists across a span of centuries. So within the walls of Camelot, 10 years pass, while hundreds of years pass outside. And the first Black Knight was the guardian of Camelot. And so Camelot was this place which was supposed to be a beacon of hope and light and justice and wonder to the whole of the Dark Ages. But here's its dirty secret. It was guarded. Its most powerful champion was a berserker, a, a, a man steeped in the dark energies of this ebony artifact who couldn't stop himself from becoming a butcher on a long enough timeline. And, and that's the core of the the old sins that our modern characters are having to explore in this miniseries. Wow, I have to say that's vastly more interesting than I ever thought this book was going to be. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> that's fascinating. I mean, I like. Gosh, that is really an interesting way to approach that. That is seeing Dane Whitman in the middle of this, and you've already talked a little bit about him. He wants to be recognized, and he wants to be part of the good guys and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But he has a challenge to do that. Uh, I'm fascinated how he's going to relate to all that. He's going to struggle. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's so interesting. I mean, I I'm, I'm really fascinated by that. That is really going to be something. I, I gosh, I hope it goes more in five issues because I can see. <laughs> Me too. Well, I mean, you can see if if it did, then we could spend whole arcs telling great stories in Camelot as it was. And uh, there's a whole other side of this that I won't spoil, which is about why we in the real world don't remember Camelot as it really was, why we have this really skewed version of it, which is, which is all kind of fun. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk too much about that because irrespective of what happens with the Black Knight book, there's, bigger plans afoot that we'll, we'll hopefully explore all of that one way or another. Wow. 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 I was excited before. Now I'm really excited. <laughs> Good. That, that's fascinating. I'm just, I, wow. Of course I want to ask a whole bunch of spoiler questions. <laughs> I can't answer many. That's right. There's no point in doing it because you, you can't tell me anything about it. Oh gosh, that, that is really something much more interesting than I ever dreamed it could possibly be. So that's Wow. That is really great. So, so Dane Whitman has this very critical role in this whole Camelot thing. Yeah. Wow! I, I wow! <laughs> I'm stunned. I, 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 gosh, I can't wait for this book to come out now. I'm gonna have to <laughs> read this tremendous thing. I hope other people get into it too. Because look, I realize Black Knight is not one of those. He's not Thor level. He's not, you know, Fantastic Four level. But I, I've always been 
attracted to the way he is. He, in the past, he's been trying to overcome the history of his family. Yeah. And I, I found that to be a real interesting. Here's this guy who was like, according to the way we understood before, his generations of his family were evil people. And here he is trying to go against that. Yeah. And I, I found that really appealing. And here you are just adding to that and just in blossoming this whole thing. Well, that's the trick. You know, we, we, we sincerely hope that what we've come up with is a fun story in its own right, but doesn't outright contradict or disrespect anything that has come before. Is he going to still be in Savage Avengers? I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, if, if I do my job right, then uh, he will always have a place in the wider Marvel universe. You know, even if I'm not right, like the challenge I was set was, Let's make people realize what a great hero this is. And, you know, it, it doesn't hurt that there's a, um Eternals movie coming down the pipe in which we are told the Black Knight appears. I, I really genuinely don't know very much about what goes on in that movie or how big a part the character plays, but evidently there's interest in the character. So, yeah, it's just about, you know, whether or not I get to tell uh, a 40-issue series about this character running around in the Marvel Universe or not. We want the character to be perceived as as fascinating as i perceive him so that other writers and other storytellers want to use him in their books too wow i i'm just I, i'm gripped <laughs> I just think it's fantastic i mean I, I i hoped it would be him struggling with the sword and that was the most i could imagine but wow you had this is why you're the writer and i'm the reader I, <laughs> well i hope there's a as i say there's a there's a beat right in the middle of issue one or it's actually just past the midpoint, but um, but it's kind of unforeseen and it, it does change everything. So I, I hope, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy that. Oh, good. Well, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I really, gosh, and I got to ask another piddly question, you know, uh, about the, the horse. Oh, yeah. you know, he, he rides a winged horse, then he rides a, a rocket horse and, and, you know, it, how's he going to get around in this book? Is there, a, it, does he have one particular means or is there other means of getting it's, around? It's mostly by winged horse. It's, it's sort of a, it becomes a little bit of a recurring joke. Uh, it, it's established in the law, as I understand it. But uh, because, by the way, one thing a lot of people forget is that Dane Whitman is a, is a very smart scientist in his own right. He's not just this guy who wears, wears a suit of armor and goes out to fight evil. So, we're establishing that he he has his very own clone production line where he where he makes these winged horses. Mm. Um, it is implied by other heroes that they're they're not the best <laughs> clones that they've ever seen. Uh, I think there's a line very early on where Captain Marvel sees him arriving on one of these things and says, "That horse does not look happy because you wouldn't be, would you?" But then, hey, uh, I'm also a big fan of the um, what's it called, Atomic Steed, which was uh, I think. Let me see if I've got my continuity right. He he learned how to make atomic steeds from a stay in Wondergore, which is the home of the high evolutionary. <laughs> Again, fiddly widdly stuff you really don't need to know. But um, <laughs> at some point in our story, he will indeed show up on an atomic steed because it's just okay. too cool not to. Okay, because you know, see, the thing that worries me about that, and I'm sorry that this is, shows me as a as a old old comic reader, there was a hero from Archie Comics called the Black Hood, right. and he, he rode a robot horse right. that flew. And I, whenever I saw that, I immediately went, "Uh oh, someone's been reading <laughs> the Black Hood again." Oh no, not <laughs> so, that. <laughs> so, uh, so, 
So I like the flinged horse much better. <coughs> Visually, it's much more interesting. Yeah, to me. yeah, yeah. No, there's there's plenty of um, plenty of Pegasus action for you. And I won't fill you with all the other little things that, that entrance me about this character. But I'm just I have to say that I think you're doing a wonderful uh, gripping uh, is a word I keep coming to well, I hope story. The, I hope the comic lives up to the, the waffle <laughs> I have presented to I, you. I, I, just my, to, my salesman's now, pitch is better than my writing pitch. Let's hope I'm oh, right. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, I was looking forward to it before, but now I just can't wait for it. Speaking of which, do you, do you know when the release of the first issue is? I think it's this week. It's uh, where are we? We're Monday the 15th today, and it's Wednesday the, what is that, 17th, I think is when yeah. it drops. So you've only got a couple of days to wait. Okay. Well, actually, this is going to post on Sunday. So ah, it's well, already. It will be post post release in that case. You can you can append this with your. your well, I'll just leave it the way it is. <laughs> that's the way it is because that's, that's fine. You can you can still get to the store and get that. You can go to Comixology if you have to go to marvel.com and get it. There's all different ways because all those things contribute to the future of the character, which oh, I might buy. I might have to buy multiples just to. to <laughs> there are else. there are inevitably some extremely lovely variant covers as well. So uh, yeah, we're, we're hoping for a big bump from this. Gosh, year. Black Knight with a variant cover—that's another <laughs> new and wonderful thing. So there's all these great reasons to buy this book. Just gosh, I can't wait. I hope this lasts a long time. I, I'm fascinated with this this new take on it. It's just great. Okay, so why don't we talk? About, are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of or come down the pike? Uh, let's see. There's a whole bunch of other projects I'm working on, but I don't think any of them have been released. That's often the way, unfortunately. There's, um, there's, uh, no, I'm just looking at my little, uh, my little slate board next to me at my desk and, um, they are all secret for now. Yeah, no, I've been, uh, so without leaning too far into, how difficult my life is and, and playing my little tiny, tiny violin here. The, uh, <laughs> the COVID crisis hit me very hard last year. I had about four months where all the, all the projects I had spent years setting up all caved in, in one really desperately bad week. Um, and I did without any paying work for about four months. And then suddenly, just as I was getting a little bit panicked about that. It, it swung in the other direction, and I now have a little bit more than I can easily handle. Oh, that's, well, that it's was... A, it's a nice problem to have. So. Oh, yeah. See, I, I have to tell you, I'm retired. And when I retired, I thought, I'm going to be sitting around doing nothing. And then suddenly people discovered that they needed proofreaders. Uh-huh. And I am deluged with proofreading stuff. I, I, I spent two nights talk, going over something with somebody, and now we have to do it again in a couple of nights to, to go on the next project for that. So I am busier than I have ever been, and I thought I was going to be nothing going on. In a way, it's a good thing, though, because I'm glad you're getting all these good things, because obviously when you're challenged, you come up with great stuff. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, the, the, the lovely thing, actually, is that during those four months of, of um, down tools, I just got on with a bunch of stuff that I, I had been wanting to do for a long time. And, and so amongst the projects that are now keeping me busy are a couple of the things that I just put together on spec, which which kind of ran away with themselves when the world started picking its feet back up again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice time for me. It's, it's a little bit stressful there's there's a, a smidge too much work and i have a, a a tiny toddler and another baby on the way so it's, oh, it's pretty stressful <laughs> but we're getting so you really are a creator 
Oh, much. yes. <laughs> <In every respect>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Well, uh, one thing we should do, one of the ways that I got in touch with you was through Twitter. So why don't we uh, let people know how they can follow you when you're announcing things and going like that on social media? How do they do sure. that? It's, uh, I'm at SciSpurrier, all one word, uh, on Twitter. And I have a website, which is just simonspurrier.com, um, where I keep everybody up to date. Very good, very good. Well, I pay attention because uh, that, that's what I did. When I saw that, that you were working on Black Knight, I went right to Twitter and I, I found a lot more out about it. Of course, I didn't find all this good stuff, but I was so happy to find out you were doing it. Now I'm really happy. I just, I, wow. I, I hope Way of X does well, but I hope Black Knight does just as well. <laughs> Thank that would you be very much. So great. Well, so I, keep it up. I, I am anxious to see what else you've got coming. When I see your name on a book, I'm going to be buying it because it's going to be very good of you. Thank you. We, uh, we, we rely upon the, the loyalty of readers. So um, it means a lot. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. That's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator. Something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics.